0: So the, we're continuing from Imam Ghazali's text And we are in the section of praiseworthy character traits Now, what's interesting is that in this text Before praiseworthy traits comes blameworthy traits And this is what we had covered last year, right? And so what's interesting is that he's chosen to put praiseworthy after blameworthy, meaning that in order for a person to really bring in praiseworthy traits into their life, they must remove those that are blameworthy, right? because the, the heart can only occupy so, much, so many things. And if a heart is filled with evils and filled with diseases, it'll be very difficult for it to also take in and accommodate praiseworthy traits. So it's important for us to take, keep that principle in mind that we purify and then we bring in goodness, right? And sometimes you'll do it simultaneously, but recognize that you won't get the full benefit of a... You won't be able to fully bring in a praiseworthy trait until you've actually removed those that are blameworthy because there just isn't space for the both of them to coexist. Okay, so that's the first point. Now yesterday, just in summary, yesterday we covered... What topic did we cover yesterday? Tawbah, repentance and how Now Tawbah, like, again we normally think about it As an actor and action But Imam Ghazali is highlighting That this isn't just an action This is actually a characteristic of a true believer Is that they're in, they bring Tawbah into their life Such that it's a dominant feature Of their day to day existence So we highlighted how it's the beginning of the road For the travelers, those people that are seeking Allah Taala. Tawbah is that first step Because it allows them to actually make progression they're, That's the, you know Our sins are the anchor that hold us back And Tawbah as a uh, allows that anchor to be cut off, so that you can actually traverse the journey toward Allah Taala. We talked, we highlighted a few verses as well as the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in which he said that a person who repents from sin is as if that person never committed sin altogether. Then he went into the section about how repentance is obligatory for everyone, and it's because it comes in the Quran where Allah Taala commands the believers, Jamia, that turn back to Allah Taala. All of you turn back to Allah. No one spared from this. Um, so that you may be uh, People who are مفلح. Okay and then the um, He talked about how Every human being uh, Must engage. So no one is spared From tawbah because no matter what your state Is you are always someone who Should be engaging in tawbah For some people it's that its Sins predominate your life and that's most of us for other people, it's sin is less of an issue; they've moved on from that, and now it's those times where they're heedless of Allah. So you do Tawbah from the periods of time where you're heedless of Allah. Uh, for other people, it's not their heedlessness; it's actually their um, their inability to progress toward Allah Taala quickly. Okay, so that's the um, uh, so no one's spared from this. Um, and then he sort of concluded we, by talking about well, a couple of things. One was Uh, He gave some tips on how to Remove the persistence of sin Because there's a few reasons Why human beings persist in disobedience In Allah and he highlighted a few of those things And finally he concluded by saying that Minor sins are not minor And if they're perpetuated they're essentially equivalent to major sins There's uh, equipoise Between the two So um, Then he wrapped up the final Second section The final uh, paragraph By saying In summary Nothing motivates repentance Except fear That comes from insight And knowledge We shall therefore mention The virtue of fear Its reality And its treatment So that's the next section And that's what we're going to cover today Inshallah So Fear The second principle The second praiseworthy trait That a believer should bring Into their life Fear uh, In Arabic Is Al-Khawf Al-Khawf. There's different words given to fear, but Khawf is the, you could say, the most um, comprehensive term. It's fear. So, as he does typically, he'll bring in a few verses of Qur'an and a few hadith. so we'll just recite these, inshallah. Allah Ta'ala has gathered for the fearful guidance, mercy, knowledge, and pleasure, and that suffices you as a blessing. He said That guidance and mercy are for those who are fearful of their Lord So this is another word that comes up Rahbah Rahbah in Arabic can also It also connotates fear Rahibah yarhabu means to be in fear of something To be afraid Uh, uh, So Okay, he also said The only ones who truly fear Allah From amongst his slaves are those with knowledge Okay, so here another word comes in for fear And that's uh, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ To fear Allah um, So khashiyah, it really means Fear is one meaning um, You could say a more comprehensive meaning is To be fearful in Allah, of Allah Such that you're fully aware of Allah That's what uh, that's, that's, um, You can say that's, that's, that's another meaning for khashiyah So anyways So there's khashiyah which is fear There's خوف which is fear And Allah Ta'ala uses uh, these in the Qur'an he subhanahu wa ta'ala also said رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ عنه خشي ربه. That Allah Ta'ala is pleased with them And they are pleased with Him That is for whoever fears His Lord Whoever fears Allah Ta'ala Has of Allah Ta'ala uh, Allah Ta'ala is pleased with them And they are pleased with Him It's one of their signs Okay, the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi said The head of wisdom is fearing Allah he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also said Whoever fears Allah, Allah Ta'ala will make everything fear him And whoever fears other than Allah, Allah will make him fear everything He Sallallahu Alaihi also said That Allah Ta'ala said By my might and majesty I do not join within my slave two fears nor two securities So Allah Ta'ala is saying this is a hadith Um It's narrated in Bayhaqi Allah Ta'ala says By my might and majesty I do not join within my slave Two fears nor two securities You can't have two fears at the same time And you can't have two securities at the same time If he feels secure about me in this world I put fear into him on the day of resurrection And if he fears me in the world Then I give him security on the day of resurrection Meaning that if we want peace and security And comfort in the hereafter In particular the day of judgment Then that comes from us being fearful of Allah Ta'ala in this world And on the other hand, if we are not fearful of Allah in this world If we're not fearful of Allah Ta'ala in this world Then we can expect that we will be afraid of Him on the Day of Judgment Okay, so this is the hadith of the Prophet Okay, so now he continues The reality of fear So Imam Ghazali says Know that the reality of fear is the heart's Pain Due to its expectation of something disliked in the future, this is the definition of fear. Right? When you fear something, it's because of something of uh, of uh, of the future. You're not fearful of something from the past, or fearful of something in, in the in the of something occurring in the future. If you've had a bad experience in the past, right? Let's say you had a very traumatic experience as a child or as a teenager, then your fear is not of that past event. You have sadness associated with that Your fear is that that event could occur to you again in the future Okay? So that's what the definition of fear is That fear could be from frequent sins Or it could be from Allah Ta'ala Through knowledge of His attributes That inescapably necessitates fear this is the most perfect and complete because whoever knows Allah fears him, fears him necessarily. So it could either be fear from frequent sins, frequent sins in the sense that fear that I might fall into frequent sins, or fear of the consequences that can occur because of my frequent sinning. And then he says the other type of fear is, or it could be from Allah through knowledge and His attributes. That knowing Allah Taala alone, irrespective of your your spiritual state or your engagement or disengagement from your own sin. Or from fear of your future sin Pure knowledge of Allah Ta'ala Should necessitate fear in every single person And he's saying that's the higher state That you fear Allah simply because He is Allah You fear Allah simply because He is Allah And because of recognizing who Allah Really is, not because of A particular consequence um, Okay Then he goes on, No that the one who lands in the claws of a predatory animal does not fear it only if, he does, only if he does not know the predatory animal. Indeed, he who knows that among the attributes of the predatory animal is that it destroys without caring, such a person is inevitably in fear of it. Okay, so he's saying, you know, that you don't fear, an, let's say a predatory animal. Take, for example, a bear, right? It's a predatory animal, um, it, one of its attributes is, is, is that it can destroy without actually caring. So it isn't... Um, your fear of the animal isn't, uh, because, isn't that you don't know that it's a predatory animal. It's because you recognize that it's a predatory animal and it can destroy and it won't affect it in any way, shape, or form if it destroys me. So if you come into combat with a bear in the middle of a jungle, or, I don't know, a forest, or wherever bears are, uh, and it, 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 you know, it destroys you, it doesn't lament over it, it's done, it moves on, right, it doesn't it doesn't harp over, like, why did I just do that, oh, let me sit in here and do doba for a period of time, let me regret this. Doesn't, it does, it moves on The next one that comes, I'll destroy it And then it moves on, right? This is just the way the, the predatory animals are You get, you know, and, uh, you, get, uh, you fall into an ocean There's a shark, and it attacks you And it destroys you, and it moves on It doesn't think back, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that I cared for that, that person so much Why did I do that, right? Um, so, um, so, the highest analogy uh, So you inevitably have a fear for this sort of a thing The highest analogy is for Allah For He is the mighty, the wise Yet whoever knows that if He were to destroy All of humanity from the very first To the very last Knows that He would not be concerned Nor would it detract anything from His dominion Okay, so this is a little bit deep And we have to try to understand this There's a few principles to keep in mind from this Number one is that if Allah Ta'ala wants to destroy us He can do it Absolutely There's nothing binding on Allah Ta'ala In fact, He created us And it's up to Him to remove us Completely up to him He created all of humanity And if Allah Ta'ala wants to remove all of humanity in an instant He can, there's nothing binding on him In fact, the hereafter isn't even binding on Allah If Allah Ta'ala, this is just Allah's power right? He tells us what he's going to do because he's merciful But it's up to him what he wants to do So much so, that if Allah Ta'ala decides that at this very moment He wants the world to end, no judgment to occur And there to be no hereafter He absolutely has the ability to do so Right? Think about that for a moment if he wanted to right now Destroy the earth and the universe And as if it never existed He has the ability to do that And nobody could question him In fact we wouldn't be around to question him He has that power And will it, Okay so that's the first thing to recognize Allah Ta'ala can do whatever he wants He's all powerful This is his qudrat This is his ability لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله There's no power that exists Except that that is with Allah Okay the second principle to recognize Is that nothing can stop Allah From doing what he wants to do If Allah Ta'ala wants to destroy, he can destroy If he wants to create, he can create And no one can come in the way of Allah Ta'ala's decisions to do so Okay, Um, number three That nothing increases or decreases Allah And this is what Imam Ghazali is highlighting When he says Allah Ta'ala doesn't care It's not that he doesn't want what's best for the believers And it's not that he doesn't want to reward us And it's not that he doesn't want to show his mercy to us It's that it doesn't affect him in any way, shape or form Okay? So, for instance, us getting together and praying the Asr prayer right now and showing our devotion to Allah, and maybe some of us are deep in our salah and we're crying to Allah Ta'ala, it doesn't affect Allah in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't raise His greatness in any way. Now, if this, this same group of us were to collect together and transgress and sin against Allah, it doesn't lower Allah Ta'ala in any way. Right? So, nothing can phase Allah Ta'ala, He's that above. In fact, he was before Allah Taala decided to create. He was by himself. He didn't even need to create, right? He didn't need to create. He created out of His mercy to create a group of people that He could eventually benefit, uh, reward in the hereafter, and allow us to reward. But it, you know, if Allah Taala wanted before He created human beings or created the world, He could have decided not to create, and it would have been His prerogative. He could have done that if He wanted to do that. Nothing, nothing's binding on Allah. So by that same token. Nothing raises Allah, nothing decreases Allah. Allah Ta'ala is great irrespective of what his servants do toward him or experience uh, with regards to him. Okay, does that make sense? So now it makes sense when Imam so let's go back and read what he said. That indeed he who knows that among the attributes of the predatory animal is that it destroys without caring. So if it leaves him, it is not out of compassion and pity for him since he is too trifling for it to be concerned about him. Such a person is inevitably in fear of him So he's saying if a predatory animal leaves you alone It's not because he cares about you It's just that you're just too You're, you're, a, you're insignificant You know it's kind of like uh, They say that if you um, You know if you I don't know if this is true or not uh, But if a, 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 if a, if a beak You know comes at you They say to stay still right? Don't move You know, If it spares you it's not because it cares about you It's just because it, does, it doesn't care about you Right? You fall into water A shark doesn't attack you But if it senses blood or if it senses that you're a threat It will attack you um, And it's simply because you're just insignificant You're insignificant Now for in the case of an animal If you're a threat, it'll attack you In the case of Allah Ta'ala, we're insignificant If Allah Ta'ala wants to destroy, He can destroy In fact, if you look at history He's used people as examples To, damp- to instill fear in others Right, And we'll talk about this in a moment He's used people as examples To instill fear in others About his ability and his wrath That if he wants to punish He will punish He will remove people from this world right, In order to show us What his ability and his qudrah is This is just Allah Ta'ala's prerogative He can do as he wills Okay, moving on um, Okay uh, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran قُلْ فَمَنْ مِنَ اللَّهِ أَنْ أَرَادَ الْمَسِيحَ مَرْيَمَ وَأُمَّهُ الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا Say that then who could do anything to stop Allah if he had willed to destroy uh, the Messiah, Isa A.S., the son of Maryam and his mother and everyone else on earth altogether. together. Um, who could do anything to stop Allah if he... This is Allah Ta'ala saying this arada an If Allah Ta'ala has intended um to destroy Isa alayhs and his mother Maryam al alayh and then all of the world all together, who who is there to be able to stop that from happening? It's Allah's will, if he wants to he can make it happen. Now what's amazing is that I, I mentioned that Allah Ta'ala's prerogative he can do as he wills, so much so that he'll never be held to trial for what he does either. If anybody commits any form of injustice in this world You're held right? You will be held accountable Very few people get away with it You could be a world leader And you commit war crimes And you'll be held in, in international court Because of these war crimes Now maybe you can hide from it But if it's revealed to the world The crimes you've committed You will be held accountable for it right? But Allah Ta'ala He's not held accountable for anything That's just him he is not held accountable for anything He's the one he, he is the one who, who takes account how is, how is anyone going to hold him accountable This is our aqidah, this is our belief uh, Okay now How many of his slaves says, How many of his slaves has he destroyed in the world And subjected them to every sort of punishment Without being affected by compassion or pity For that is surely inconceivable for him It is inevitable that he be feared So how many people did Allah Ta'ala destroy in the past The people of Nuh Adisalam destroyed by the flood right only the people that Noah Adisalam was able to save were saved everybody else were destroyed the people of Ad destroyed the people of Lut right Allah Taala says in thema ja'a naj'ala 'aliha safilaha wa amtarna 'alayha hijaratan min sijil um the people of Shuaib um wana ja'na Shu'ayban walladhina amanu ma'ahu birahmah minna wa akhadhat alladhina zalamu sayhah fi diyarihim jathimin How many people, groups of people before us Were destroyed instantaneously Without forewarning Right, Didn't expect it from happening And it happened Allah Ta'ala is worthy of being feared It is inevitable that he be feared He's saying this If you look at the stories of the people of the past The only conclusion you can come to Is that Allah Ta'ala is deserving of our fear If you understand Allah Ta'ala's power, his ability And what he's done to communities And people that have come before us The only, it is inevitable, Imam Ghazali is saying, it is inevitable that he be feared. Thus, knowledge of majesty, might, and independence necessarily evoke reverence. Knowledge of Allah's majesty and his might, which we already highlighted, and his independence. Look, Allah is not dependent on us. Allah Ta'ala is completely independent of our worship, of our existence. He is completely independent. If we were to not exist, it wouldn't affect Allah Ta'ala in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes we think that we have... You know, we as an individual we're a, We mean a lot And maybe we mean a lot to the people around us To our families and to society you know, Maybe we mean a lot to our communities But when, it, when we compare ourselves to Allah We're completely insignificant We have no meaning When, it, when we compare ourselves to Allah Ta'ala's greatness you know, So if for instance Just take the example when, uh, If there's like you know, 20, 15 or 20 ants in your house and one ant is responsible for, you know, basically bringing food. You know, one ant is responsible for trying to secure the boundaries, and one, you know, to take shelter, or refuge in your home. One ant is responsible for, you know, building a, a little space in the home, right? And they each have an individual responsibility. They mean a lot to one another, right? You then you know, one, you know, they're putting a lot of effort in, and they mean a lot to their group. Now, let's say that you know you don't see them one day, and you're walking in your house, and you step on all of them. They're destroyed. You move on. What happens? Life goes on for you. Right? You don't even know that they were existed You don't even know that they've been destroyed Right, it, it, You just move on Because the reason that's the case Is because the difference between you and the ant Is so significant The ant is meaningful to its own little circle To its own little group But when, it com- when you compare the ant to the human being There's no comparison There is no comparison So similarly with Allah Ta'ala You compare the human being to Allah Ta'ala There's no comparison So as much As important as we may feel in our own little circles, when we immediately turn back and connect ourselves to Allah and ask, Do I have any significance to Allah? I don't. Does my community have any significance to Allah? It doesn't. Do we as human beings collectively have any significance to Allah? No, we don't. And if Allah destroyed us, like I said earlier, it wouldn't change Him in any way. He could move on. In fact, He could come up, He could create a whole other group of people. And create a whole other world altogether if he so chose. It sh- it w- it it cannot phase him. It I mean, uh, this is very subtle, and I, I I don't I I'm, I'm, I hope to convey this properly. Allah Taala has mercy and He has love for His believers, and He wants what's best for us. But He's so above us that if He wanted to remove us, He could remove us and replace us with someone else. In fact, you know, the say and it comes from the Prophet that if a group of people. Were to not take on the responsibility Of worshipping Allah Ta'ala What will Allah do? He can remove that group of people And bring forth a group of people That will worship Allah Ta'ala This is his power Right? If, if a group of people decide That they want to disobey Allah He can remove them Bring them with someone else So we, that, that's a sign for us That we take on responsibility Of deen on our shoulders Okay uh, does, that, does that make sense? This is this making sense? Okay The next section Mm. Okay How to attain fear right? So what is the remedy How do we bring this trait into our life um, Treatment by fear And its attainment is of two levels So He brings up two main ways By which you bring fear into your life Fear of Allah into your life Number one The first of them is knowledge of Allah For it entails fear necessarily Meaning the first step of you bringing fear of Allah Ta'ala into your life is to know who Allah Ta'ala is through the attributes that He's given us. Now, none of us will ever truly be able to encompass Allah. Allah Taala. We will never be able to fully understand Allah. We all, the, all we know about Allah, our knowledge of Allah is what Allah Taala told us about Him through His attributes. So we have to learn that. This is a requirement for every believer. We can't go through life and not understand the greatness of Allah, the majesty of Allah, the mercy of Allah, His power, His qudra, His rahmah. Right? This is why we attribute so many qualities and attributes to Him that He's revealed to us in the Quran. It's imperative that every believer study these, study these thoroughly, because unless you have knowledge of Allah. You won't be able to fear Allah. Truly, the one who lands in the claws of a predatory animal does not need any treatment in order to fear if he knows the predatory animal. <laughs> when when you're uh, like I use the example of a bear. If you're in a forest and a bear comes upon you, uh, and you know this is a bear, you don't need to be warned. Hell, listen, now it's time for you to run. You know it. Right? <laughs> your 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 uh, instincts kick in. Right? You don't need to be trained on, at this either You just know that, hey, this animal doesn't like me, I better run Or this animal has the ability to, to, to destroy me, I better, I better run And I better run fast um, It is conceivable that anyone who knows the majesty and independence of Allah That he created Jannah and for people to inhabit it Knows that he also created Jahannam and for people to inhabit it So our knowledge that Allah Ta'ala created both Jannah and Jahannam is sufficient to instill fear within us If we understand what Jahannam really is And if we understand that Allah Ta'ala can put in Jahannam whoever He wills to put into Jahannam um, That His word concerning eternal joy and eternal sorrow will be fulfilled for everyone in truth and in justice that it is, unconce- it is inconce- inconceivable for other than him And there is no averting the execution of his eternal decree If Allah Ta'ala has decreed for us to end up in Jannah Or end up in Jahannam There's nothing that can challenge that That he himself does not know what has been predetermined for him Nor what his final deeds will be right? We know that Allah Ta'ala has knowledge of every single one of us And where we're going to end up in Jannah and Jahannam We know this I, we don't know where we're going to end up He already knows Not only that We don't know What our final deeds will be Right It's possible No we are all We're all happy here We're sitting Many of us are sitting in i'tikaf We're sitting in a masjid We're believing in Allah We feel close to Allah You know There's a possibility That Some of us Won't be Won't be We'll, we'll leave the deen altogether You know In a matter of ten We don't know what our final uh, destiny, We don't know where we're going to be Ten years from now in fact, there are people who performed their in the past, right? And they left the deen, right? Because of some difficulty or some tribulation that Allah put their way, and they failed, and they were removed from, from deen altogether. So we never know where we're going to end up. So, one, we don't know what sin we're going to be involved in. You know, there are people who, for instance, get involved in uh, adultery or get involved in uh, infidelity with their spouse. They don't plan that out ten years in advance. And, hey, ten years from now, I'm going to be loyal, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, uh, I, I'm going to... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be loyal to my spouse Right? Somehow some, Something creeps into their life Right? Someone, some, some person enters into their life And they interact with them more and more and more And they, slip, they go down the slippery slope and they fall into sin And they look back and say, how did I end up here? How in the world did I end up here? I never planned this So we never know what our state is going to be in the future Sure we may have done tawbah today And sure we may be in a comfortable place in our deen today But five years from now, five months from now I have no idea where I'm going to be I may be involved in some major sin that I never thought I would have been involved in and Allah Ta'ala will punish me for that. It may be that I may leave the deen altogether. We don't know what our final state is. In fact, we know narrations of people in the past that lived very righteous lives. right? And uh, Ibn Al-Jawzi, he mentions these stories in Talbis Iblis, in this text. There are people who spent their life basically in Allah's service and then toward the end stages of their life, they lost their iman. We don't know where we'll end up Okay, um, nor what his, he, so he himself does not know What has been predetermined for him Nor what his final deeds are And that there is a possibility That he is amongst those That are destined for eternal sorrow you know, The believer is never content with deen you know, We're often complacent that, with our deen I'm fine alhamdulillah you know, Where I am in my deen I have no need to grow I have no need to, to excel in my deen Okay, but we don't know if we're destined for eternal sorrow And he says, it is inconceivable that such a person will feel anything but fear If you're fearful simply that Allah Ta'ala may take away your faith in the future That's sufficient for you If if you appreciate that Allah Ta'ala can remove his tawfiq from your life in the future That's sufficient for you to be in fear of Allah does that make sense? Apart from all the other reasons we mentioned, simply recognizing that if Allah Ta'ala wanted to take away our iman from us in the future, He could. Yeah, uh, uh, that the person who Allah Ta'ala misguides, there's no guidance for that person. Nobody can, you can't, it's not, it's not uh, uh, you can't uh, correct it. It's not correctable. So why wouldn't we fear Allah Ta'ala? So, okay, so the first thing is knowledge of Allah, right? That's the first cure to fear. The second cure. As for someone who is unable to understand the reality of knowledge, meaning you, you, you can't get into the depths of recognizing Allah Ta'ala's greatness, his majesty, his abilities, his treatment for that person is to observe those who fear, to watch their states, or listen to reports about them. Right? So he's this is this is a principle applied to anything and it comes to our deen. If there's a trait that we want to bring into our life that's good, we either Try to practice it ourselves and bring it into our life But if we are unable to The next best thing that we can do Is to just spend time in the company And observe those people who have those traits Right, this is what we This is Sohbah right? uh, A person is on the deen of his friend Or of his companion If you can't bring something good into your life That you want to bring good into your life Then attach yourself to the people of goodness And that good will come into your life Absolutely To the people of piety Right, So the same principle applies to uh, sins as well. If you, are, uh, if you don't have a particular sin in your life and you want a bad habit to come into your life, spend time in the company of people with those habits and it will come into your life. It applies universally. If a person, uh, you know, let's say a person doesn't smoke and he hangs out all day with people who smoke and it's all day to smoke, 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 you can guarantee that the person is going to smoke as well. You're not going to save yourself. Okay, uh, So observe those who fear Watch their states Or listen to reports about them Indeed those of Allah's creation Who are the most fearful of Allah Are the prophets, the saints, the scholars And the people of spiritual insight So spend time in the company of the ulema Spend time in the company of people of piety, people of taqwa Because if you do You will be able to observe how they fear Allah Those things that, that displease Allah They stay away from Those things that please Allah They go toward. Those things that will anger Allah, they run away from. So spend time in their company and interact with them. And these traits will also enter into your own life. Um, this is like a boy who does not fear snakes insofar as he has not observed his father fearing them, running from them, and trembling when he sees them. Yet when the boy sees the father in such a state, he imitates him and feels his fear, even if he does not know the reality of snakes. Right, has <laughs> like a personal. So basically, what he's saying is that yeah, I mean, let's say if we're spiritually immature, uh, sorry, if we're physically immature, a child is physically immature and he doesn't know the difference between what's harmful and what's beneficial to him. Eventually, what that child will do is they'll look at their parent and try to mock them or mimic them, right? Spiritually, we're immature as well. I'll give you an example. So you know, I I don't like snakes. I just have this phobia, I think, of snakes and other animals, certain animals, but snakes in particular. My son doesn't really care. But when we go into like the reptile section at the zoo and he sees that I'm not going near the glass and I'm staying away and I'm, you know, and I'll, I'll go, go, go and I'll push him and he, you know, he'll go in. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. He'll be all excited to go into it. And we go into that reptile section and once we go in and he sees that I'm not coming with him to <laughs> where the, the glass or where these animals are, he'll, uh, he'll see my state. And I'll say, go, go, go. He'll no, 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 you come too. Why aren't you coming? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm afraid. I'm not. <laughs> okay, then I'm not going near it either. So the, uh, so that's how a child learns. A child is physically immature and the child learns from the physically mature parents about what's harmful and what's beneficial, knows how to fear because the parents teach them how to fear. You know, the child appreciates, uh, you know, through the parents, for instance, um, how to, uh, what are certain things, for instance, uh, you know, being electrocuted, right, in the house, the child learns through the parents say, listen, you don't play around with electricity Because this can kill you The child doesn't know it But when he sees the parents are very careful about it The child does so as well So the same thing in deen as well We're spiritually immature So in order for us to truly appreciate Allah Ta'ala And fear Allah Ta'ala We have to spend time in the company of those people That are spiritually mature Because we will know what it means like to fear Allah Ta'ala um, Okay This is just a Okay, it is said that when Iblis manifested what he was to manifest Jibreel alayhi salam Makair alayhi suddenly started crying Okay Iblis right, The leader of the, of the shayateen When he manifested what he was to manifest What was that? He manifested meaning he was obedient And then he became disobedient to Allah Right? Iblis is actually was at the forefront of the, of the, uh, of the jinn when it came to mm. obedience to Allah, he was at the forefront So when Jibreel الصلاة, and Mikail saw what had happened They started crying So Allah Ta'ala revealed to them, why are you crying? They said, "Oh Allah or oh Lord, we have no security from your plan Jibreel الصلاة, and Mikail, the angels are only follow Allah's plan They only do what's right They have no ability to sin and no ability to transgress Human beings have the choice of obedience and transgression But angels do not These two angels, seeing what happened to Iblis and his faith Became fearful Even though there's no possibility of an angel disobeying Allah They said, oh, oh Lord, we have no security from your plan So Allah Ta'ala said, be so Do not feel safe from my plan For no one feels safe from Allah's plan Except for those people that disbelieve in Allah the only people that can feel safe from Allah's plan Is the people that disobey from, disobey Allah. They feel safe. They feel safe, only to because they don't appreciate what's coming in the hereafter. Um, okay, then he just goes on. he goes on just a couple of stories. He mentions, sorry, he mentions the fear of the prophets, the state of the prophets, and the fear of the sahaba. The humming of Ibrahim, alayhi salam's heart Prophet Ibrahim's heart during prayer could be heard from a mile away. Dawood alayhi uh, salam Cried for 40 days in prostration Without lifting his head Until his until the grass grew from his tears The grass grew from the watering of his tears Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu Said to a bird If only I were like you, O oh bird And not created as a human being Because animals won't be judged in the hereafter Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu Who's only second to the Sorry who's, Who after the after the Anbiya of Allah The prophets of Allah is Abu Bakr So close to the Prophet وسلم, So close to Allah Ta'ala That the Prophet said that if, the, uh, if the deeds of the entire Ummah Were to be pla- Sorry If the Iman of the entire Ummah Were to be placed On one side of the scale The Iman of Abu Bakr Were to be placed On the other side of the scale uh, Abu Bakr So if Iman Would outweigh the Iman Of the entire Ummah This is Abu Bakr Suddiq RadhiAllahu Anhu's state So He would say He said to a bird If only I were like you O bird And not created as a human being Recognizing that animals aren't accountable He is to be accountable by Allah Abu Dharr al Ghifari anhu said I wish I were a tree Aisha radiallahu anha said I wish that I were completely forgotten This was their state The sahaba uh, Okay, the next section Now this part is important Uh, The the whole section is But this part is important Because thus far we've been talking about fear, 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 fear And the natural uh, consequence of that is It instills fear within us Which is good But Imam Ghazali sends uh, another section To culminate, to, to complete this section He says The slaves turning from fear to hope Okay So it isn't that we're stuck on fear The believer will also have hope So he'll explain this so it'll make sense Fear is a whip that drives the slave to happiness, yet it should not be excessive to the point where it causes despair, for that is blameworthy. Okay, this is very important. I'll repeat this. It should not, fear should not be excessive to the point where it causes despair, for that is blameworthy. Right, Allah Taala says, "Qul uh, la That my servant who has transgressed against himself or herself, don't be don't be in despair of Allah's mercy. Don't think that Allah's mercy cannot overcome his wrath. Um, it, fear is an, a helpful characteristic to have. It's a trait that everyone should have. But He's highlighting that it should not be such that it, um. Uh, it, in the, it disables your ability to function. Okay, I'll give you an example Some people in this world, they suffer from uh, generalized anxiety right? Now, Anxiety has its benefits for a human being Because anxiety is what protects us from a lot of the difficulties in this world If I, if I can't generate anxiety from within myself I don't know what a toxic situation will be like right? That's the purpose of anxiety If I don't have anxiety If, if, I, if I'm not um, worried about impending doom Then I'll never be able to protect myself from impending doom so anxiety in and of itself is a healthy characteristic that's built in within the human being. But when a person suffers from chronic anxiety or generalized anxiety, and the anxiety occurs in situations where it's not warranted, it becomes it becomes disabling for a person and it impairs their ability to function in day-to-day life. They can't go to school, they can't go to work, they can't interact with friends and family, they can't have social interaction. That's the effect of severe anxiety. So similarly, fear of Allah ta'ala is Beneficial for the believer But it should not reach a point Where it causes despair It should not reach a point Where it it causes functional immobility Okay, makes sense Okay, so he says Of course, fear should dominate hope So long as the slave is committing sins As for the obedient person Who's devoted to Allah He should be balanced between fear and hope Meaning, the, 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 major, the main advantage of fear is not that it, it traps us in our space and we can't move because we're so fearful and we're so caught up, worried about what's going to happen to us in the future with regards to our iman and our sins. It's not supposed to immobilize us. It's supposed to enable us. That's the purpose of fear. So, in particular, it helps us remove sin from our life because, as much as we want, hope can play one role. But the most effective way of removing sin from a person's life is to, is to appreciate, is, is to bring fear into your, into your life. If you study the wrath of Allah Ta'ala, you may be more inclined to leave sin rather than appreciate or study what Allah Ta'ala's hope and mercy is. Okay? So, he says, Umar radiallahu anhu said, uh, this is this is umar anhu, who is now in the category of obedient he is a balance between fear and hope he said if it were proclaimed that all of the creation will enter paradise except one man i fear that i would be that man if it were proclaimed that all of creation will enter jannah only one person will not enter jannah one person will enter jannah uh, sorry jahannam umar radiyallahu anhu would fear that it's probably me it's probably me I, if it were proclaimed That all of creation would enter hell Except for one man I would hope that I was that person You see his fear and hope He's so fearful that if everybody were destined To Jahannam, sorry, Jannah Only one person was to be destined for Jahannam He would fear that maybe that's me And on the flip side If everybody were to be destined for Jahannam And only one person were destined for Jannah He would have hope that maybe that would be me So this is a perfect example So, so there's a balance between fear and hope. Now, for other now, in experience and just in general, working on people and trying to benefit other people, it tends to be more beneficial, especially in the society in which we live in and the time and place. It's more helpful to to guide people through hope than it is through fear, through positivity than it is through negativity. For ourselves, when we're engaged in the sin and we're trying to remove sin from our life, we use wrath and we use fear of Allah Taala as that dominant. As a dominant uh, as, as that dominant feature But when it comes to Working with other people In hopes of bringing Other people to deen And bringing other people Toward Allah Generally speaking It's better to guide them Through hope of Allah Rather than fear of Allah Very few people Change their life around Out of uh, Being scared into it In fact Fear Sorry Scaring people Actually turns them away From deen But giving people hope Actually brings them Toward deen You know once I was giving a talk Actually it was here A few years ago I think it was in I'tikaf and uh, the talk was basically about Allah Taala's mercy, and the talk was, it was majority of the people that were in the gathering, or at least the intended audience, were basically people who don't have a connection to Deen. You know, they can't—they come once a year in Ramadan, and they many of them were youth who basically are troubled by so many evil, so many difficulties and challenges that youth face today. So the entire talk was about Allah Taala's mercy and how ever, he can forgive whomever he wants, and there's no. Uh, you should never despair in Allah's mercy You should always turn back to Allah Sorry, you should always hope that Allah Ta'ala will forgive you And even on the Day of Judgment, Allah Ta'ala can forgive if He wants to forgive With the intention that this would bring people in And afterward, uh, you know, an, an older uh, brother had come to me after and said What are you doing? Why would you give this kind of a talk? You know, if Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala he, uh, there's hope in Allah Ta'ala But there's also punishment in Allah and I tried to explain that I, I appreciate that, right? And for for if our community as a whole was thriving, then we would depend upon that principle. But we're not; we're bleeding. So in order for us to bring people into Deen, we have to give people hope, especially younger people that don't have hope for anything in life. Everything, all hope is taken away. If we give hope in Deen to people, then our hope is that they'll actually come to Deen uh, as well. So um, we should give people hope. We shouldn't scare people away. Okay, so this is the last couple of sections and we'll wrap up inshallah. As for the one who is close to death, hope and having a good opinion of his Lord should dominate him. So when you reach later stages in your life, hope should dominate you. You shouldn't be just constantly fearful of Allah. Allah is going to punish me. What am I going to do? Well, you should have a good opinion. The Prophet ﷺ said, let none of you die except that he thinks well of his Lord. Have a good uh, opinion. Opinion of Allah That ya Allah, I'm so weak ya Allah But you will take care of me Ya Allah, you will be the one who protects me ya Allah You are gonna be the one who preserves my iman I can't be left to myself Ya Allah, you are gonna be the one who rewards me I cannot wait until I receive the rewards of Jannah ya Allah So our conscience should be be positive throughout We shouldn't, especially when we are at the later, later stages in life Furthermore, hope is different than empty wishing Truly, the one who does not plant a seed and till till the earth, yet looks forward to harvesting, is vainly wishful and deluded, not hopeful." hope isn't that you disobey Allah, you forget about Allah, and then you say, but you know, Allah is merciful. We, the hadith came yesterday, right? Al-ajiz, the, the foolish person, the Prophet ﷺ said, the foolish, person, the foolish person, is that person who follows his whims and desires and does whatever he or she wants, doesn't even think about what, Allah, what pleases Allah. They do whatever they want. And then afterward they have hope that Allah Ta'ala is going to protect them. That's not our attitude. Our approach is that we strive, and once we reach the limits of our ability to strive then we then we then we 100% put our dependence in Allah Taala and hope that Allah Taala has what's best for us uh, um, Allah Taala for this reason Allah Taala said Inna Verily those who believe And those who uh, The muhajireen And those who struggled In Allah's path وَجَاهَدُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ يَرْجُونَ those, uh, those are the people that have Hope for Allah Ta'ala's mercy Those are the people that have Hope for Allah uh, Ta'ala's mercy In summary The fruit of hope is encouragement to seek And the fruit of fear is incitement to flee This is the summary statement It's very powerful In summary The fruit of hope Is encouragement to seek To seek Allah To seek more in deen To seek the higher levels in deen And the fruit of fear Is incitement to flee To flee those things That are displeasing to Allah That's when we really apply fear Into our life Whoever hopes for a thing Seeks it And whoever fears a thing Flees from it The lowest level of fear Is what moves one To abandon sins And turn away from this world Okay, rather if fear is complete It results in asceticism Therefore we will now mention asceticism With the zuhud and its meaning And that will be the section for tomorrow inshallah So just one take home point Two take home points One is that true fear Sorry not take home points, additional points True fear is for Allah Ta'ala and Allah Ta'ala alone that We go throughout this world We live in this world And we often uh, fear other things other than Allah We fear an individual in our life We may fear a group of people in our life but true fear should be reserved for Allah Ta'ala That's what Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran وَخَافُونِي Don't fear them, fear me True fear is for me because I'm in charge of this world And the hereafter you're going to be ad- dealing with me So true fear should be reserved for Allah Ta'ala And the second thing is that what, The second additional point is that When we experience fear in this world Be it a phobia that we have Or be it uh, an anxiety that we have Or whatever, whatever situation we may find ourselves in one of the benefits of that is it reminds us that we should It reminds us about what it means to fear Allah Right, so if I don't know what it means like to, If I don't experience fear for other people For instance, at certain times in my life I may not be able to appreciate What true fear of Allah Ta'ala is Meaning, if I find myself Going through life fearing other things That's fine, we'll address those things as they come But I should use that as a reminder for myself That if I'm feeling this way If I'm fearful of this situation Or this person How should I imagine what the day of judgment Will be like Imagine what the day of judgment will be like And what fear I'll have on that day So may Allah Ta'ala allow us to be truly fearful of him uh, To such a degree that it is beneficial for us In this world and in the hereafter May Allah uh, Ta'ala Put us uh, Or label us amongst those who will uh, remain in a state of iman until we pass away May Allah Ta'ala uh, allow us to find the, the the appropriate balance Between fear and hope in this life Alhamdulillah